today as we continue in the first Timothy. So if you haven't already, grab yourself the Bible, open up to first Timothy chapter five, and we're going to continue where we left off last week on verse 17, and we will complete chapter 5. I, I hope so. Uh, we've got a couple hours. So, we, you know, so we're going to finish chapter 5 uh, of 1 Timothy, and we're just, oh, did I tell you? <laughs> Timothy is one, it's my favorite book. It's just, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing book as we study it. Again, Father, we just opened up your word, and we just ask you, Holy Spirit, to illuminate your word to us right now personally speak to our hearts personally and may you transform us personally by the reading and studying of your word in jesus name amen now last sunday we started chapter 5 of first timothy and we looked at church relationships Within the body of Christ, how those relationships, how Timothy, young Pastor Timothy, was to treat the different people within the body. There are times when brothers and sisters do not always dwell together in unity as a church family. <laughs> I know, it does, we're in complete unity here, but we're talking about other churches. But there's times it can happen where there's not unity. But Paul suggests that we treat people like they are our own family in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5. We're supposed to treat them like family. And that God simply is calling us to love others as God loves you. God loves you. He's gracious. He's merciful. We are to be the same way in with our family and church family. Now there are times, not everyone who asks for help in the church should receive that help from the church. We saw that in verses 3 and 4. Paul is saying that charity first starts in the home. That is where someone who is a widow or someone who is in need should be supported and, and helped by the family. Now, if so, for some reason there is no family, there's no husband, there's no, there's no children, there's no relatives to help them, then yes, the church is there to come alongside in those days to come alongside and to help them financially because they were not making it because of the situation they found themselves in as a widow. But Paul is saying that charity begins at home and church leaders must exercise discernment for all matters, especially regarding those who are truly needy and those who are just looking for a free handout. Now, today in chapter 5, verses 17, 17 through 25, Paul will discuss church leaders. Church leaders who are to be valued. And so Paul here is going to, it appears, to, to address an issue that was taking place in the uh, church of Ephesus where Timothy was the, uh, the, the key uh, pastor that Paul put in that position to oversee that church and with the other elders that were raised up there. And it appears that Paul needed to instruct Timothy regarding the dealing with church leaders and how best to work with church leaders uh, because there's obviously there was an issue that needed to be addressed. And we will see here in these verses, Paul will counsel Timothy in his relationship with those leaders and addressing three topics today. The first topic 
is compensation, verses 17 and 18. Then he's going to address accusations, verses 19 through 21. And then he will talk about ordination, verses 22 through 25. Now, when we take a look at compensation for the elders or the leaders in that church who serve well in the local church, Paul is going to tell Timothy, it's important you do that uh, for those who are serving. The second thing was the accusation, and we will see sometimes trouble becomes uh, about when we believe reports that cannot be verified or we should, or we show show partiality towards someone in leadership that we should not be doing, or we make decisions before getting all the facts. There are some challenges when accusations are raised up about an elder. And lastly, ordination. We need to understand how important it is in selecting church leaders within the local church. By the leading of the Holy Spirit with all spiritual wisdom and guidance before you lay hands on that man. So we're going to see that more specifically as Paul counsels and instructs Timothy, Pastor Timothy here, on these three things. In verse 17, Paul says to Timothy, let the elders... Presbyteros is the word here. It's not the same elders as in the first verse uh, one and two that he was describing regarding age. We're calling talking about the elders as in leadership within the church here um, who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor or teach the, in the word and doctrine. So in verse 17, we see the word here is to be understood in a very broad sense of those who occupy official leadership positions within the local church. And the focus is made on elders who rule, who oversees the ministries of that church, those elders and those elders who are actually in, also on top of ruling and looking over the ministries who also teach the word and doctrine to the people. So there's two, two different uh, groups of elders that he's referring to because just because you're an elder does not mean you will be teaching. You might be just overseeing ministries within the body of Christ. And then those who had the gift of teaching or in the position of teaching, they will also not only be ruling, but their, or their emphasis, emphasis will be more on the teaching of the body. And he's going to distinguish that because as we go through this, it's important for us to understand that, that people have different roles within that. And it's important that the task of the elders is to direct the affairs of the church. They have the oversight of the affairs of the congregation, of each of those ministries, or what ministries will or will not take place within that church, and the deacons come alongside them and help them support them as needed. Now he says there that elders who rule well will be counted worthy of double honor. Honors, that word there comes from a word we use as honorarium. It's a, a compensation to those who serve within that local church. Now he says there, those who rule, no, he says those who rule well, those who have a qualification, because some people can get in a position of leadership and just 
fill the space, but really not be ruling well, watching over the congregation involved and making sure the ministries are going well. They're not ruling well, they're just in the position. Now, he says those who rule well should be counted worthy of double honor, or in the double honor, what it means is a generous salary for the position they find themselves in. So what we look at this is Paul says in the context that this double honor means generous financial support. Why? Because it's the same word in general that honor means that we saw in 1 Timothy 5.1 when he speaks to the widows who says widows are worthy of honor or financial support if they're truly needy. Those who are pastors, those who are elders who are ruling and ruling well, they need to be compensated generously if they're doing it well and laboring in the teaching of in the word and doctrine of double honor. So it's double what certainly of, of honor in regards to the position they find themselves in. So for their oversight, elders receive this stipend or fixed salary that the uh, that the church determines for that, that, uh, that elder. And when they take a look at that, they're going to take a look at how they compensate based on how well they rule, but also if they not just rule overseas ministries, but also if they do teaching, then there's an additional compensation or honoring of that who labors, as Paul says here, labors in the word and doctrine. Now, valued and scriptural principles suggest that a pastor should be compensated in proportion to their usefulness. And, the, and we see in chapter 3, verse 4 of 1 Timothy, Paul speaks to the qualifications of the overseer slash elder and says it's based upon one who rules his own house well, remember, that was one of the qualifications. So if you're going to be ruling your house well, then you meet one of the qualifications to be an elder. But that means you just don't do it just at your home. You're supposed to be ruling well within the congregation family as well. You have to be faithful. You have to show up. You have to be with the people. You have to protect the people. You have to oversee them. You have to be available to them and all of them. Not just certain ones you like and don't like. I, I'll, I'll help take care of over here, but I'm not going to do anything over here because you know, I just don't feel like it. That's, that's not how it works as an elder within the congregation. There's no stovepipes. There's no limitations. There's no you know, decisions that you get to make what you will or will not do when you're called by God to rule well in the ministry of a congregation. You just don't have that say. You know, I'm always joking, you know, like, in fact, this morning we were joking. It's like, oh, I'm so glad you showed up, Pastor, uh, with the snow. I said, yeah, my wife made me, you know, <laughs> you know, so, no, I'm going to show up if there's a blizzard. Unless someone tells me I cannot get on the roads and the, and the, and the sheriff says all, everyone has to stay on the roads, I'm going to be here. And yes, I will shovel my way in here so that if anyone shows up, they're going to have a place to walk in. Why? Because that's what God's called me to do. Now, I don't go based on my feelings. I certainly don't go based on my convenience. No, I'm going to rule well because that is what God's called me to do. That's my life. And so he says there you're going to rule, uh, one who rules his own house well. It means you're not going to lord over the people. You're not going to be some 
dictator to the people. You're not going to be some stronghold kind of a person to put people into submission. Nor are you, I'm going to be some lazy, passive elder who says, I just come and go whenever I please. That's not ruling well. Can you imagine if as a father, I might show up for the family today. Eh, tomorrow, maybe not. I'll come in, I get what I want, I let the family do whatever they want to do, the wife can do whatever they want to do, I just kind of come and go, I just need a place to sleep and hopefully there's food left over, and I'm just going to passively go in my day. Are you ruling well in your house, men? Absolutely not. You're supposed to be engaged. You're supposed to know what those kids are doing, what your wife's doing, what they're reading, what they're listening, what you're watching, who's around them, who's their fellowship, who, who is, what, what kind of influences they're having on your kid. What are they looking on on that phone? That's ruling well, men. Are you with me? That was a, that was a little rebuke, rebuke. Yes, it was. But now the elders come in and you say, well, why are you concerned, pastor, for... What we watch or what we see or who we're listening to in the teachings and all kinds of stuff. Because I love you. I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to warn you when you're ingesting stuff that's going to kill you spiritually. I'm going to warn you. And I go, oh, am I going to offend them if I say that to them? Yes, I need to say it in love. But I'm going to tell you why. Because that is what God has called me to do as an elder. Are you with me? It's ruling well. Now, regarding the elders who rule well, 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 3 says, The elders who are among you, I exhort. I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. Didn't you notice that? I'm not being told I have to. I am absolutely willing to do whatever it takes as a shepherd, as an elder, to take care of the flock. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you but being examples to the flock. Powerful verses for elders are those who believe God's called them to be an elder. Those are very important verses for you to meditate on. Because these elders were chosen from the congregation on the basis of God's call. The Spirit's equipping the witness and work of men themselves. That is how I see that God shows me as I watch within the congregation who God is bringing. I'm looking for those things that the scripture tells me to look to. Before I lay hands on them I, and ordain them, as we will get into more details, I am looking at those people's, those men's lives and their wives' lives if they're married. And I'm watching their lives and I'm looking to see if there's a calling on their life to be an elder 
a spiritual leader of a congregation. I'm also looking for the Spirit's equipping, meaning they've been received the Spirit's uh, gift of teaching, the gift of administration, the gift of helps. These things are important in that role. And I'm going to look at the witness and the work of the men in and, in and out of that the church as much as I can see. That the Lord will show me. And by that, then I will know if truly God is with them to do the call and the work that he's calling them to do. Not just because they tell me they feel like it. I know that you feel like a lot of things, but that key is, is God with you in regards to it? If not, it's only a matter of time when you're not doing and not equipped to do what you're doing as an elder. It will become very apparent and it will not be long for you to uh, not be an elder any longer. Now, after they are chosen, they were ordained or set apart for the ministry. I'll give you the verses for you to go back and meditate on this. Acts 14, 23. Acts chapter 20, verse 17 and 28. And lastly, Titus 1, 5. For those... I know in someone's mind, like, okay, what does that mean? I'll give you those verses to meditate today with a good hot tea as you sit there uh, for some of you. <laughs> and crumpets, if anyone has any, I'm happy to share that with you. <laughs> the local church needs both ruling and teaching elders within a congregation. The Spirit gives the spiritual gifts of helps and administrations, and then you want to see where that's noted. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. So elders who rule well are ones who handle things or situations biblically. How do you know if an elder, pastor, overseer, bishop, whatever term you want to use. How do you know if they rule well? They rule regardless of the situation or the person. They do it biblically. That's how you know they're ruling well. Church is not a democracy. Let me say it again. A church is not a democracy, but one of order. And you must understand that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. If you don't understand that, especially as an elder, that you're not in charge of this building or the carpet or the pews you sit in or any financial or resources that God has given to his people, and you think you are in complete control of that, you have, as an elder, you'll never make it. Because Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He's, it's his people. And what he wants for his people, you must be listening and obedient to do what God wants for his people. Not his people telling you what to do, but Jesus Christ telling you. As a leader, a shepherd that he's appointed over that flock, must be obedient to his Jesus and Jesus alone. God calls men to be leaders in his church and is anointed, gifted, and empowered to do this good work. He calls them to do in this leadership ministry. Now, if a church is not organized, there will be wasted effort 
wasted money and wasted opportunities that God wants to do in and through that church body. And as spiritual-minded leaders do not supervise the various ministries well of the local church, there will be chaos instead of order in that church. Now, while a church should follow good business practices or business sense or principles, you must understand as an elder, this is not a worldly business-like approach. It is not a business, not a worldly organization. This is a living organism, not an organization. And it's God leading and God doing, and you do it by faith and not by sight. Many times people get put into position of elders because they're so well known in the community or really business-savvy experience of the years of business and have successfully run businesses. I find that many times those who are not, who are put in place like that because of their prominence don't do well in the ministry because they will lean on their own understanding and try to run a church like they run their businesses and it will not work. So that's not the qualification as we know. It was never on the list there in Timothy or Titus that says you will be an elder because you have money or because you have uh, business sense or successful business or whatever that may be. That is not a qualification at all. Now also ruling without teaching would accomplish Very little. The local church grows through the ministry by the word of God. Yes, you can have a ministry, a local church, that is so big into the ministries and the programs that they they rely upon the programs and the social gatherings and making you feel really good and get you to encourage you to keep coming back and have a really huge emphasis on the worship ministry of just lots of music and everything else, an entertainment center, but they don't teach the word of God. That's a danger. From my perspective, I think it's a danger because the local church will only grow in the ministry, long-term healthy growth, only by the word of God. What were the early church doing? What were the leaders doing when they established, when God established that very first church? We see it in Acts 2.42. These leaders were sitting there and the early church focused on what? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They continued in fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayers. The question always is, is what is apostles' doctrine? Well, let me give you kind of a highlight of what they would have been talking about and communicating over and over and over in this early church. They would have said, Jesus is of of, of Nazareth. He, they would have said he, that all the prophecies that we see in the Old Testament about the coming Messiah, the Christ, has been fulfilled through him. They would have been continuing and talking about that the, he came from the tribe of Judah, born in Bethlehem. 
He did miracles. He fulfilled prophecy while he was on this earth. He was crucified on the cross. He was raised up on the third day. He ascended into heaven and coming again. That's the apostles' doctrine. Are those key elements, and that's what they continue to teach the people as they gather together in Christ's name. Are you with me? That is what this church was founded on, Acts 2.42. That is, continues to be our emphasis here, is Acts 2.42. We continue to teach the word of God. Because I know what it has done in my life of transforming my mind, my life. And I know and watch hundreds upon hundreds of people's lives being transformed. And I know the Spirit of God through the Word of God will be transforming your life if you continue to show up regardless of how you feel. I assure you. And unless the believers are fed the Word of God, unless you are cleansed by the Word of God, unless you are strengthened by the Word of God, you will be weak and ineffective and will only create problems within the local church. That's how what happens. You must be focused upon growing in your knowledge and understanding of God. Then Paul continues here in verse 18, for the scripture says, now he's going to support what he just said in verse 17, with scripture in verse 18, and he says, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. So the principle here that Paul is getting across to, to Timothy is that those who serve God's people should be paid when possible. <laughs> because when we started this church back almost 10 years ago, this March, 10 years ago, it was just two families. It was just two, just four people and our daughter Heather. That was it. But God has faithfully provided and faithfully continued to grow from that. And when possible, can compensate for those who are elders in the church. And is supported by scripture and this verse that he says here, you shall not muzzle an ox, it goes back to the Old Testament of Deuteronomy chapter 25 verse 4. But you also need to understand that many times people say, well that was the Old Testament, what is it today? Well, let me give you the exact same verses pretty much that you see in the New Testament. Go back and read Luke chapter 10 verse 7. And if you really want a really good summary aspect of everything, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and read verses 7 through 14. And you'll see why Jesus communicated and Paul communicated. It's even very specific that Paul quotes Luke there, Luke 10, 7, as scripture. Very important you see that as you read that. But Paul is telling Timothy to be sure that the pastors were paid adequately for the work that they're doing within that church. And it's to be based on the basis of their faithfulness of ruling well, biblically, and two, that they're feeding and leading the people in the ministry. If God's plan that 
that the needs of his servants are met by the local church, it is so important we understand that it applies to even today. But also on the other side of the coin, because there's always two sides of the coin, on the other sides of the coin regarding this, a pastor must never minister simply to earn money. That warning was given in 1 Timothy 3.3 as a qualification to be a leader. You could not have a leader that says, I need a job, so it sounds like an elder is kind of like a fun thing to do because I really don't want to have to do roofing any longer, so I'm just going to go and become an elder and see if I can how much money I can get and make it through. It sounds pretty easy to me. That is not the right heart of an elder or a deacon. Nor shop around for the best salary that a church will give him. And yes, that happens. If you send in your resume, we'll be happy to have a, a committee get together and we'll determine. And you can kind of bid for a bidding war for the best pastor who wins gets this salary and all the stipends that come with it. Do you think that happens today? Absolutely does. It's shocking how prevalent that mentality is. I've done well here. Everything's growing well. Everything's established. And I now think I deserve, as a pastor or an elder, I'm going to go for, look for another church because now I want a church that's 250 or 500. Going once, going twice, 1,000, 5,000. You know what I'm saying? That is not the mentality that should happen in a mind of an elder ministering to the people that God's called him and placed him into doing. Nor shall a pastor ever stand up here at this pulpit and be teaching through the word of God or teaching anything and then tries to manipulate the financial board by telling the people, my wife and I are barely making it, we're starving, you know. Have you noticed I've lost a pound? I haven't been able to eat well because I'm just not getting compensated to eat. That should never happen. It should never happen. Are you with me? I did write down, I do need a jet. So if you want to consider a jet, I, you know, I think we could expand ministry. You know, We can go up and down the North Country. I'll take a plot plane and we'll just go up and down and start. I'm just joking. I am. I'm very much joking. <laughs> Uh, I'll hear back about that one. <laughs> I'll get the emails. Verse 19. <laughs> Paul continues here, and he's telling Timothy how to treat a leader who's being accused of sin. What does he say? He says, Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Verse 20, those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. Now we get into the accusations. That Paul is hinting at a balance between believing what is coming and being presented to him about an elder and acting on every bit of gossip that comes along about a leader in the position of an elder in the church and ignoring 
the serious sin accusations that would come up regarding a a leader's life, either extreme is wrong. You should not just be passively saying, I don't want to hear it. And also, those really extreme ones that you're, you know, let me rephrase that. The the extreme ones are really serious. You're like, I don't want to hear that. And then the ones who are just gossip and just kind of, you're kind of accepting those kinds of things freely and believing them without uh, taking due diligence to work and make sure what is true and accurate. Now remember, I'll give you a verse. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. You must understand this as a leader, as, as an elder, you always have to remember this in, when you're dealing with accusations because you always have to remember that Satan is always coming after leaders within a church. It is non-stop. It says here in verse 10 of 12 of Revelation, it says, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of your brethren who accuses them before our God day and night has been cast down. So Satan is constantly accusing you of all kinds of things. Accusing you of your past, accusing of the of the present, whatever it is. Constantly, Satan is accusing you to our Heavenly Father. It also is true for those who are leading and overseeing God's people. The attacks are nonstop. There's never a break for us. The degree may be higher and lower, but it's nonstop constant accusing. But Paul here is going to warn Timothy about three things, three warnings. He's going to give him a warning that says, you must take caution when accusations are levied against a, a, an elder. You need, as a second thing you need to do, Timothy, is you need to remember you must have courage to address the accusation. And the third thing that Paul is going to teach him is that you must be, have fairness when addressing the accusation against the elder. So the very first warning here is caution to Timothy to be sure he has his facts complete and straight. And the way to do that is to hear that Paul says to him, you must make sure there's at least two or three witnesses present if this accuser is accusing one of the elders. Not two or three people who heard the gossip as well. No, 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 no. That's not good. If if an elder listens to gossip and then tries to say that's fact, that man should not be in position of of authority. But if it's two or three witnesses who have the facts that this person, this elder, is being accused of. So, Paul says to Timothy, this accusation should be carefully and cautiously verified by two or three witnesses. And if you don't do that, Timothy, you can't allow Timothy, you can't allow false accusations to come into the church leadership and to, uh, and to allow it to circulate. So if any time I hear of an accusation about one of the elders or one of the leaders in this church, immediately I will address it. I will start fact-fighting to find out where that sits. 
I don't look for it. I just know it comes to me. And if it comes to me, I have a responsibility to fact find and see if there's two or three witnesses regarding that. If someone comes to me personally, and, and after service, before service, and I find this person starts accusing me, I will stop them and I will look to my left or my right to find my leadership to bring two or three witnesses for him or her to accuse me so that him or her can see I've got witnesses to say what you're about to say to me. That's exactly what will happen. I'm just letting you know. Why? Because I want witnesses to hear what you're about to say because I am totally accountable of what you're about to accuse me of. Now what I find during that period of time, and it's happened one significant time for me, and I brought witnesses that quickly brought light to the false accusations that came. That's, there's wisdom in the word of God. There's wisdom in the word of God and how to deal with accusations with leadership. So as we continue here, Paul is saying here to Timothy, you need to be aware that people do bring false accusations because the enemy is out there to try to bring you down. And if any accusations against the pastors must be able to support it with these witnesses, rumor and suspicion are not adequate grounds for discipline. Secondly, when an accusation is made, witnesses ought to be present. The accused has the right to face his accuser in the presence of witnesses. So don't be making an accusation and say, we think you're doing this and we think that's it. Who's we? Oh, I'm not going to tell you the we. Oh, no, you will tell the we or it's just false accusation. You, you need to step aside. <laughs> You'll need to step aside because I'm not going to take it. Don't accuse one of the leaders of, this, of the church if you're not willing for the we's to show up. And those who are sitting rebuke in the all the presence of all. So this is a very interesting here because remember the context. We're dealing with leadership. We're not dealing with you as a congregation and those who are in sin. We're talking leadership level. And if it depends on the accusation, it will determine the all here in context is we bring the other leadership in. So if someone says, I got an accused of one of the leaders and this is what's going on, there's two or three witnesses, immediately I'm bringing all the leadership in to weigh this so it's not just me, it's the leaders that's looking at this and then the accusation against another leader. Rarely, and almost impossible somewhat today because if someone is, does some sin that is very grieving, grieving sin, I, it's not like a sin that says, oh, this person talked not nice to me, wasn't very loving, and all, not that level of sin. But I mean, this, this elder is in um, adultery, that level of sin. Now, not only the leaders will deal with it, but there may be, which is very rare, because typically if someone is in a leadership position and in adultery, they, 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 they immediately leave. They're not going to be pulled in front of it. Why? Because back in those days, you didn't have a plethora of churches to choose from. Did you? 
the, the, the people in that community held you responsible. So you had to be worked with and you could be brought in front of the congregation to know the seriousness of the sin that you had. Today, that doesn't happen because they just go pick another church. They just leave. They don't, they, they don't have to be doing it. We've never had to do that. Thank God. Because we've never had that situation. We never, and I pray we never have that situation. Why? Because as we get to the section of ordination, we pick leaders wisely <laughs> we don't rush to pick leaders why because they put the entire congregation at risk and themselves because you will be attacked daily weekly and non-stop in the position of leadership and so i don't want to do that to someone hastily so paul's second warning to timothy is to have courage to address the openly or the things of accusations that come, you have to have courage, Timothy. You must be able to deal with this biblically. And in times, it might be the presence of all because it becomes to light to everybody what happened to that, to that leader. Jesus said in John 18, 20, In secret have I said nothing. It's a principle as a leader that whatever you do, like Jesus, I don't go in secret talking about these things. I'm open and transparent about these things. There's nothing to be hidden. If a, leader, if a leader's in sin, it must be addressed biblically. Based on the sin of the leader, it will determine if it will be addressed not only with just the leaders of this church, but also certainly certain sins will be in front of the entire church because it's come to light and it's necessary to do that. There are times, and we must remember, as a pastor, you can do all, you can do all things well. You can be so spiritually fruitful in the ministry, everyone can see it. You can see the anointing on the man in his teaching and his working with people. The love of Christ is pouring out of him. And you can still, as a pastor, receive the most amazing amount of arrows shot in your back. Did you know sheep bite? And it hurts. Do you know that? That's what elders, that's what pastors go and would be willing to go through, even knowing this. As I was told in the ministry in the very beginning, Cody, it's not easy to be in the ministry. If you can't take it, take you and your barbecue and get out of here. And I heard that more times in the development and, and training up of becoming a pastor. And it's, and it's true. It is sad when... Things are not handled properly. And people don't realize the spiritual warfare comes with the territory of ministry. It does. It's, uh, it is sad when churches disobey the word and listen to rumors, listen to lies, listens to gossip. It will defeat, and many times it will defeat the life and the ministry of a godly pastor. And unfortunately, I've had brothers 
and because the, the wife couldn't handle it either because it affects the wife and it's just too much of the false accusations <clears throat> and they walk away from the they walk away from the ministry Paul now continues here on the fairness, the third warning here. He says, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice. It's the only place in the Bible you see this word. And doing nothing, and, and doing nothing with partiality, with a bias or favoritism. That's two sides of the spectrum prejudice and the favoritism or bias when it comes to making decisions about accusations toward an elder. So Paul's third warning to Timothy is that he must obey the word no matter what his personal feelings might be in regards to the elder that he's checking things out on the accusation. It might be just one of the elders who's been there in a short time in the ministry, and you're like, okay, no big deal. He's not been with me very long. He doesn't do as much as I like. He's got to go. Without getting facts, without even knowing if it's false or not. And then on the other side, it could be someone who's dear and love and been with you for your entire time you've been saved and stuff, and all of a sudden, I'm, I'm going to protect and do whatever it takes. And don't even talk about this sin anymore. Just, just cover it up. Either way is both very bad and should never, ever be done. It's got to be a fairness, Timothy, when you're dealing with accusations with your leadership there in Ephesus. Because Paul's not messing around here with Timothy. Notice the strength of this statement. I charge you. This is not a suggestion, Timothy. I charge you. This is a command. He says, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, and the elect angels. So a very strong statement in the qualification of why this is important for Timothy to do and not to just take the suggestion that Paul is saying here. He's not a suggestion. It is a charge that he must do this. Why? Because he serves an eternal God. And he must, and whatever he does as an elder, as that pastor of that church, he, whatever he does must please God in everything his decisions he does. It must be in everything he does. Now we're safe to say here when he says, not only I could say, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, and I would be content and easy to, to, to talk about that. But notice he said, and the elect angels. Why did he say that? Why did he put and bring the elect angels in? Who are these elect angels? Well, if you go back to Jude 6 and read that today, or 2 Peter 2.4, these are the angels who stayed faithful to God. They are not the angels who left God and chose to follow Satan, Lucifer. This is the, the angels that chose to continue to stay with God and to minister and to be obedient to what God wanted them to do and God uses angels in and helps us. We know that Paul added here the angels because they're not judges, but as future witnesses of the carelessness or the rashness of self-seeking or bad faith. They are present as spectators, for they have been given charge to the care of the church. And you can look and read in, in even Revelation how God has appointed a, an angels over 
countries and over churches to be able to minister, to oversee and watch and, and, and take note. So he's even said, look, God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the elect angels all see what's going on. And make sure, Timothy, you do not judge over this accusation in a prejudiced way or partiality way. Don't, uh, don't rule against or don't rule for the accusation leader in an ungodly way. That's the warning for us as elders and leaders of the church. And lastly, we take the last section here, verses 22 through 25, and Paul addresses ordination. He says to Peter, this is how you're going to treat leaders when it comes to ordination and your selection. Be careful about approving a ministry of another person. Be very, very wise, Timothy, because if you don't, it's going to cause you some major headaches. So he says here, do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. <laughs> That's a... That's a loaded verse for me, right? So before I ordain people, this is the warning for me. Corey, be very careful not to lay hands hastily on someone just because there's a need, because there's a gap. Don't be rushed and pressured to be laying hands on someone to ordain them because you feel like you need to have someone. Those kinds of pressure points is not of God. Hastily, don't do it. Why? Because you could, as we see in the scripture, be ordaining someone who you don't thoroughly under know who that person is. Because you have to first understand, only God knows the heart of a person. We see that claimed in Acts chapter 1 verse 24. So you have to take time before you lay hands on someone to, and put them in positions of authority within the ministries and possibly even teaching. Be very careful because... If you ordain someone, you have made a you've made a statement that this guy meets all the qualifications, and you can trust him in the ministry. And all of a sudden, you find this guy has secret sins. Paul says you share in that person's sin. Ouch. That would hurt. I don't want to go down that path. Never. I really don't. By God's grace and mercy, I, do. I will never go down that path. But all the senior pastors that I know in fellowship says, Corey, 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 Corey. You'll just never know. <laughs> when I listen to other senior pastors been doing it for 40 years, they talk about their situations, one or two situations in their 40 years of teaching or being a pastor and, and how painful that situation is. But the laying on the laying hands on someone is is a is used in the sense of ordination. And but Paul cautioned Timothy, as we see, to let a man prove himself before he was recognized in the ministry. He has to prove, he has to be tested. <clears throat> this should not be a rushed or time sensitive or must season a man has to be in the ministry and he's got all these talents and we just have to hurry up and get him there before he decides to go to no he has to be it's like a tree 
A tree has to take time for it to mature before what? It produces fruit. And once it produces fruit, you'll know if it's good fruit or bad fruit. And if good fruit is coming from their lives, then it's confirmation. If it comes and you start seeing some rotted food, no laying of hands on that person. That person's not ready. It's not, he's not been changed. And one way to avoid painful situations involving the discipline of a leader, of an elder, is to be careful about who is ordained in the first place. Now, since ordination simply recognizes calls, God's calling on that person's life, it is all the more reason to not be in a hurry and, and push with time, but allow time to dwell in regards to qualifying or testing the gifts in the anointing calling in their lives. That's got to be demonstrated naturally. It isn't uncommon for a young man or a very ambitious man, a driven man, to drive and say, I'm ready to be an elder. I'm ready to be a leader. Give me more responsibility. I want to do this. And gets really excited. And I love that. I really do. I love that. I love the passion of a young man who says, I know God's called me and I have a passion for the ministry to serve people. I love those. Those are, those are beautiful things to the ears of a pastor. But what I have to do is help that young man understand Let's see, and let's see if you're going, you're going to be tested, and let's see if you're ready. There's no rush. But here's what the problem is, what you find as a pastor. People like titles. They want positions. They want money. They want control. They want power. Things that are of the flesh <laughs> can be brought into a positions of leadership within a church. And for the sake of that young man, or for the sake of that ambitious man who's just wants on fire for the Lord to go reach the loss of the world, I have to spend time with them to help them understand the risk that they're at if they are put in a position with the title power, responsibilities, and those things. Because, again, spiritual warfare can happen. That's why Paul spoke to, in the fact that in 1 Timothy 3.6, not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. So why, if I love this brother, and I know God's working it through, and he has a, this excitement about serving God, why would I put him at tremendous risk as a novice where he's opened himself up because the devil is just going to come ripping, roaring at him? And unfortunately, I've seen it in the ministry. We'll go to pastors and leadership conferences, and you see these young guys and these ambitious guys, and in the following year, it's like they're gone. It's like, what happened to him? Satan got him. He'd gone back to the old life, thought he could compromise. goes on and on and on. And it's so grieving as a pastor to see someone walk away from the ministry. 
There is a danger. Also, if, if anyone waits to give themselves fully to serving the Lord until they are recognized. Because there are some who say, you know, I, can, I, I know I have a calling on, of God's life I, I, to be a calling to serve and to be in this capacity. I know this is, this is what I want to do. But once I get the title, then I'll start doing things. Once you start paying me, then I will take responsibility and do things. Once I have the position, then I will take on this additional responsibility in the ministries. But right now, I'm only willing to do this until you ordain me. It's a mentality that comes from the work world. My job description says this, this is all I have, this is what I'm going to do. And, uh, and don't ask me, boss. Don't ask me. If you ask me to do something else, I think you're my boss and, 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 and you're asking me to do more for, for less. You know? and, and, and it's a mentality that we bring from the work world. You, you pay me to do this and only this and that's all I'm going to do. So when you ask me to do more and, and not get me more pay, no, 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 no. But once the person who has a calling of God can get over the worldliness of how things world and understand how God works in regards to serving and there's no boundaries of what God's called you to do, it's very freeing for those who are going in the ministry because there's no boundaries or caps on what God can and, can and do through that person's life. But notice there at the very end, not only you're sharing in people's sins, but keep yourself pure. It connects a very important idea here that Paul says to Timothy, that Timothy was called to observe and assess the lives of others. As a pastor, he must observe and assess people's lives who are looking that possibly to be in a leadership position. Because we want to make sure that over time, we will see truly if this is God working in their lives. Remember, when you only have 50 people in a congregation, you don't need 35 elders. <laughs> Do you understand that, right? So sometimes he's like, oh, you don't have a big eldership. I don't need all the elders to do the work of a small congregation. God decides when the size of the congregation and how many elders it takes to, to manage the ministry. And it takes time to lead up. I think of now, I think two, at least, at least two, that are, we're in the ministry with us. We train them up, growing, maturing. And it's like, yes, they would be my next elders. Then the military took them. <laughs> I trained them up. They all, now they're elders in, in leadership positions in other churches. Praise the Lord, right? But it just happens. But do you know what the first qualification is for me to know if it's a guy is called to be a leader in this church? If he's willing to pick up a vacuum and vacuum without being told or shoveling snow for a widow without being told or doing things that are very just very inconvenient for them, hard things, and it's really inconvenient and it pries into their precious personal time kind of a thing. It will test you. Or an usher 
the desire to teach children and see the value and how important it is to teach children. Just the overall desire to serve others and put them first. These are the things I look for in leaders. And the last, and I think is the most important, men who pray. If, if, not, if they don't show up for prayer or will be willing to pray with people, they're not called to be a leader. Because prayer is the most important to pray for and with in a congregation. Verse 23. Now this is an interesting little snippet in here. And I know I'm over time, so bear with me here. Verse 23. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Now some are saying, finally, he's getting to the verse I want to hear about. I can drink now. No, no, no. Let me finish this. I'm not going to rush it here because that's probably the most important. No, I'm kidding. I know. Keep going, Corey. You have to understand, Timothy was probably so conservative and so structured to make sure that he did everything he needed to do as a leader of that church and be an example to the church. He wasn't only drinking water. Now, we don't know exactly why Paul had to emphasize this to Timothy, but Paul says to Timothy, no longer drink only water. I know you're trying to be an example. You know how alcohol can really ruin leaders in the church. That's exactly true. But for this purpose, understand the context. The little bit of wine is a medicine. It's not a beverage in that time. Let me say that again to all of you. It was a medicine to help something was going on with his stomach. Is it because of the stress of the ministry and he was getting really acid problems? Was it because of the water was so bad because it wasn't clean? It was causing some problems because he was just drinking water? It was medicine to him. It was not a beverage. You have to understand the context of the scripture here. And so Paul is saying... I understand how much of an example you want to be to the leaders there at that church and the church as a whole, but I'm telling you, for your sake, you are, he must have been really sick for Paul to stay. Make sure you take a little, notice the conversation there before the word wine. A little wine. Why? For, get the word there, circle it, for your stomach's sake. And your frequent infirmities. We understand that Timothy was a victim of frequent infirmities. We see that yet Paul did not simply command for Timothy to be healed. As an apostle, we see in the scripture, we see in Acts chapter 19 verses 11 through 12, even the handkerchief of Paul that was given to someone healed someone. So why didn't Paul healed Timothy because it shows you that Paul has no authority over healing. It's only God choosing to work through Paul that heals someone. So when you sit there and go, oh, let's go see the healer. Be careful who you're chasing because God does the work. God and God alone does the work. 
And if God was willing to heal Timothy by using Paul to do it, it would have been done. Or if another way of saying, if it is God's will for all to be healed right now, because that is a trend in many churches, then in this example alone, Paul and the Holy Spirit who inspired him here led Timothy into sin. So be very careful of this. God wants everyone healed. Now. Calling him to look to a natural remedy such as wine instead of a divine healing. Where is his faith? Be very careful in those statements. Because we know that God uses natural remedies to heal people and the work of doctors in healing people as well as the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. And that does not contradict one another. <laughs> finally, let me say it again. And finally, verses 24 and 25. I keep going. but Some men's sins are clearly evident preceding them to judgment. But those of some men follow later. 25. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. It is easy to see the struggles and sins of some. But for others, they are very good at hiding their sin. We need to understand not every church member has a character as good as his reputation. The veneer looks really good. But behind that veneer, there's hidden sin. A character that is not godly. And the church needs spiritual wisdom and guidance in selecting leaders. It is dangerous to impulsively select new believers or a church member who has just been here a long time in a position of leadership. Longevity does not allow you to justify thinking you get the next position. That's the organization, not the organism. And we all have areas of our lives God is still dealing with us. And sometimes the area is something clearly evident to others, but sometimes it's not evident. They have hidden it and hidden it well. And as a pastor, along with my wife, along with my family, we live in a glass bowl. And that is good. <laughs> I know I'm saying it because it's true. My, me and my wife, and yes, those I consider in my family, in my inner circle, I live in a glass bowl, and it is good because we want to be clearly evident to those we serve that we have nothing to hide in our life that would be unpleasing to God. And that's why I don't lay hands on someone too quickly because they don't realize the glass bowl 
that I would be putting them in. And it's very difficult. Maybe the, the guy can handle it, but per, maybe not the wife or the children that have to be with them in that. The good works of dedicated believers ought to be evident even though they do not serve in order to be seen by people. Here we see at the end there at verse 25. The church must carefully investigate the lives of potential leaders. And to ordain elders with sin in their lives is to partake of those sins. Not only you as a pastor, but the church family gets impacted as a whole. But God works in mysterious ways to bring about clarity of what's going on in leaders' lives. And Paul is saying, what I'm writing to you, Paul, uh, Timothy, is that it will caution you. I just want to instruct you and caution you. Just, Timothy, just be careful of who you appoint as leaders. You want to save yourself a lot of headaches, a lot of heartaches? Be careful who you ordain to be alongside you in the ministry in a position of power to help other people. And just, I'll leave it with this. No pastor, no church member is perfect. But that should not hinder us from pursuing for perfection, growing and maturing. And the ministry of a local church rises and falls based on leadership. And godly leadership means God's blessing. And that is what we want. And that is what we need for our little church. We want to have godly leaders. Brings godly blessings. And you will see the fruit. And if you've been here for a while with us. You see God moving. God's blessing, God's provision, God's anointing, God's meeting the needs. These things, that's what we want to see, God's blessing upon this body of believers. And when that does that, I and other leaders will have no regret in selecting church leaders to help lead you, but also it will help you and support you in valuing or valued church leaders amongst you.